Katie. I'm Erica. And this this is is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk. Uh, Book Talk is a weekly podcast. We read a book over four episodes, so our readers read about 75 pages on their own, and then we chat about it on our weekly podcast. And when we find a book we really like, we'll do a special episode. So follow along for more books like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do. You're right. And this week we finished our 10th podcast book, Transcendent Kingdom by Yeah Jesse. This is actually the 10th? It is season 10. That's crazy. All right. In this last section, as Erica said, we finished Transcendent Kingdom. Uh, Gifty's mom is admitted to the psychiatric hospital and Gifty is sent to live with Pastor John for a short time and then eventually sent to Ghana to live with her aunt while her mom um, kind of works on getting better. And Gifty meets the Chin Chin Man here, uh, which was a little bit disappointing. He really talks at her. And then we Go back to present day. Mom is feeling a little bit better and comes to the lab and Gifty gets to see her kind of being her own person. We flash back to high school and see her brother's parties in high school and Gifty wishing she had told somebody now that she knows what the future holds and then move forward through her relationship with Anne, the end of her and Raymond's relationship and eventually the beginning of her sweet little romance with Han. We see Gifty in this section really start to figure out who she is and what she wants. Yay. (laughs) and we get a pretty satisfying ending we did I loved it Um, I do think we got obviously there are a lot of stories in this book that we'll never know in depth it wasn't a super long book so there's a lot of things that you can still imagine or that will never be fully told but I think I loved how it kind of wrapped up at least something happy for Gifty I feel like we've seen her struggle this whole book really just like carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. And I feel like with the relationship with Han at the end, it's something small in comparison to like struggling with the meaning of life. But we get to see her have the semblance of like community and happiness and somebody who cares for her how she needs to be cared for. And I just really loved that it ended with that for her. Same. I really loved like the journey that Gifty went on throughout this book. She clearly grew so much and processed a lot of what she has experienced and in the end we just see this like slow opening towards accepting help from Catherine opening up to Han and we're comparing that with the way that she shut out Anne and Raymond and so you can just see how much Mm -hmm. she has changed and grown as a person yeah I liked to in reading this it didn't you could really feel how much of a journey that was and how hard it was even though the book wasn't super long I think just by seeing how little she lets Catherine in in the beginning or anyone, I mean, you you can see that this was a really slow process for her to let people be there for her and kind of let them in closer. And so I think it's it's like amazing how she wrote it where you feel like this is just dragging on forever and you're like, Gifty, just let them in. Just let somebody help you. Um, but it, she does that in only a couple of pages. Absolutely. Do you want to give this like your overall rating? Yeah, I would say I loved this book. I would say a 4.5 or a 5 out of 5. I loved it. Um, I think that there's a lot of like heavy, interesting themes to talk about and think about, but she does it in a way that 
it's like deep and surface level at the same time. Like you're getting into them, but you're not so far in that you feel like crying in H Mart was for me, like just so emotional and so raw that it was like, I don't know, hard to also get into the story of it. And I feel like this was like kind of wispy isn't the right word, but enough of like a beautiful storytelling and poetic enough that it was also just like lovely to read, even while we're dealing with these hard terms of like, what is the meaning of life and what is addiction? And I feel like throughout it, there was still a lot of hard things going on, but like a positive thread throughout it as Gifty was like finding herself and what she believed and watching somebody do that was, was sweet. And then her getting kind of a happy ending at the end. So I thought it was good. And I think that she's a crazy talented writer. This is the first book I read by Jesse too. I am in awe of her ability as a writer because Homegoing was also so good, but so different. You have to read Homegoing, but it's it's like if you told me those were two different authors, I would completely believe you because it's the structure is so different. The topic is so different. They're such different books, but they're both so good. It's incredible. Her ability um, as a writer, just her absolute skills are amazing. I will give this book a 4.5 out of 5. I feel a little bit like probably how doctors feel when they watch like Grey's Anatomy. We were like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like there's just little things in the book about like research that just would like pull me out of it. Like her advisor being like, you could start your postdoc now. And I'm like, no, that's not really how it works. Like a postdoc is a separate job you have to interview for. And you usually don't do a postdoc at the same university. Or like her at this point, she's like, oh yeah, I have two papers in nature and one in cells. I'm like, no, you don't. As a fifth year PhD student? No, you do not, gifty. I feel like this is how you do with books though, which I think is so funny. And I love about the way that you read. (laughs) We're like, you're reading Red, White, and Royal Blue. And you're like, actually, the seventh son of the grandmother of the queen could never have said that without being actually killed. And you're like, what is happening? How would you even like even if because I think what's interesting about that is it's definitely some people do that where they're like, this isn't true. This would never happen. But some people like Jen works in an OR and loves Grey's Anatomy and is like, this would never happen. But is also just like fully engrossed in the show and in what's happening, like doesn't pull it out of it so it's interesting how how it can how that like can ruin kind of the trance that you're in while reading this book for you whereas like that never does for me even when I read like fiction books about things I know about research is not one of those things but when it's something I know about I'm just like well could happen maybe I don't know (laughs) like it just doesn't even occur to me to question it this is just like way too close. And it was the same thing with Red, White, and Royal Blue, where it was like, if I had read that any other year other than 2020, I probably would have been okay with it. But I specifically was watching The Crown, obsessed with the royal family, and obsessed with like electoral politics, where I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And in this book, too, it's like, I want to be in Gifty's head and I really want to like go there with these characters. That's why I love reading. And when things like that happen, I'm just like, oh, this is actually a character that was written by someone who's not living that experience. It's just that little bump of a reminder of like, oh, actually, this entire story is made up. What's interesting though, because that. like in the acknowledgments, she always loved to read those and see who they think or like who they like a little glimpse into who the author actually is. But she thanks her friend who is a who is a postdoc or is a research fellow or something. And like a lot of the stories are based on her research. And so I'm just confused why her friend wasn't like, you can't just get a postdoc. You have to interview for it. (laughs) Like, why didn't someone tell her? 
Those things I'm like, I mean, I guess they're small details, but that's what you have editors for is to like find those small details. I do feel like it's always interesting when those things are skipped, when it's not true. Right. I'm also, I'll come, I want to come back to the best friend, but I do think it's Mm -hmm. also a little strange. Like one thing that we never talk about is like Gifty went to Harvard. She went to Harvard, then Stanford for her PhD, and then ends up at Princeton. I'm like, you are incredibly successful. Like, but we do know that she is incredibly successful. successful. Like, she is. No, I know. Right. But we don't talk about like how do you go from your from going to Ghana for the summer, staying with this pastor, having a mom who's like not supportive or there for you, to Harvard. I mean, you're born really smart, and then you're running away from your problems so hard that you run straight into throwing yourself only into school, I guess. But also, I think, um, you know, this is just reminding me of another conversation I had this week about how some people are just, like, you could have a family of 10 kids, which is a family we were talking about, where, like, a bunch of the kids just, they don't have it in them to, like, make it to be this incredibly academically smart and dedicated person. And then one comes out who just is and, like, is in the same circumstance at home but is truly the exception to the rule and just is that crazy smart. I don't know. It is, I mean. But, like, but it's not, it's not enough to just be smart. To no, get it's not. Of course Harvard. it's not. But she's it's also so dedicated because that's how she's processing her grief throughout most of her life is, like, throwing herself only into that. I mean, we don't see her have a lot of friends or a social life or a support system or a hobby or anything else except for like figuring out how to do this thing. And so, I mean, I think that that's kind of the point of it too, is like she is hiding behind her work and behind her academic pursuits instead of really being a fully well-rounded person. And you get to be that successful, I think, by obviously having talent, but also by kind of having that one-track mind where you're not – a full person you could obviously be incredibly smart and be a full person but like I don't know I think there are some parts about gifty that are very frustrating and that's clearly one of them is like you are wildly beyond your mother's dreams successful but you're so internal and self-critical and also like just don't appreciate how far you've come like it's just like she gets she's frustrating in that way. She's obviously very frustrating in this section with the way she treats Anne and Raymond, which is horrible because these people really love her and she just completely cannot handle their love or accept it at that time. And she hurts both of them immensely and purposefully and laughs about it. So that's I think that's just like there's a couple things that are making it not a five out of five for me. And I think Gifty is our imperfect narrator And there's also things specifically because I'm in a related field that make me take me out of the story, I guess. I think that it is awful what she did to Anne and Raymond, obviously. I feel like her and Raymond's relationship, at least to me, I never really felt like she was like he was super in love with who she was or just like really letting her. I don't know. I didn't really feel the love in their relationship the same way, even those like small interactions with her and Han and so I feel like yes she heard him purposefully and it was awful to read but I also was like this was not the relationship for her anyways and so she probably should have gotten out of it in like a nicer way and then same thing with Anne I'm like this girl she obviously has feelings for her but also Anne is not always like accepting of who Gifty is or encouraging of who she is and then when Gifty does open up Anne basically makes Gifty comfort her which is like the hands down worst thing you can do when somebody opens up to you is be like, now I'm going to sob and cry and I need you to comfort me because I feel so bad that I made you talk about your family. Like, 
can you just not do that so that the person whose family actually is falling apart doesn't have to comfort you? So I don't think it's right what she did to Anna Raymond, but on both accounts, I'm kind of like, yeah, but it, I mean, I don't think she handled it well. I think she had a lot of growing to do, but like, especially with Anne, I'm like, I get why she was like, I don't want to talk to this person again. I mean, I would have had to talk it out 15 times and come to closure because, you know, <laughs> that's who I am. But I get the feeling of being like, this person isn't it for me, for both of them. I think that she was just not accepting of love at that time. And I think that they both genuinely loved her and loved her in imperfect ways. But that's how we love people. But do you and think she loved they them? They tried to. I don't think she was like capable of like being open to the degree that they needed, which makes sense. It's like you need to like let people in. Like Raymond is like, why do I not know your mom? Like, I want to meet your family. I want to get to know you. I'll go with you to Ghana. Let's like do this. Let's, you know, and she basically cannot handle him being that close and so deliberately puts the entry in her diary of like I never wanted him to go to Ghana and like I know I'm lying just so he can read it so he will leave her alone it's definitely like a self-sabotage he's also reading her journal <laughs> like can you not read but he also he's reading her journal because she won't but let he's him desperate. in I get it yes, exactly I get it yeah he's trying to also, figure her out yes I feel like whether she's capable of love at this point or not she doesn't love them the way that she is and whether that's because she's not able to or because she doesn't, I don't know that we, I get that part. Like it could be because she's not able to let them in. Um, but I feel like she's disconnected from really truly being in love with them and someone knowing her. And so she just like, doesn't, she feels bad. I also feel like with Anne, there's like a little bit of self-sabotage at the end where Anne's like, I love you. You know that. And Gifty's like, Oh, here's me refusing the pleasure. Like here is me saying, no, look how strong I am. And so, yeah, clearly she had some work to do at the end of both of those. One thing we talked about with Bad Muslim Discount was about whether Anvar was a good person or not. And one point from this book that I think is very relatable is how Gifty like uses this metaphor of like building a moat of good deeds around her. And I think that is really what like being a good person actually is, is like I recognize that within all of us is the desire to be selfish or to just do the easy thing and to build a life where I'm like actively being a good person. I have to like build this moat of like good things, of practices that help me reflect, of people who will hold me accountable and that will help me kind of be a better person, despite knowing that at my core, maybe my instinct is to do the wrong thing. Also, when reading that section, I'm just thinking of how vulnerable that moat is. Like, I think when she was talking about it, too, what I was thinking about was how you build this moat of good deeds and your parents raise you with all of these, you know, you're in the right schools or in the right activities, you're surrounded by the right people. And then as you grow up, you do that for yourself, right? But you're still like really just a couple of mistakes away from from addiction from ruin from things that we like to pretend are so far away and so not possible for somebody who has this kind of list of good deeds or this resume of good people around them but it's not it's always kind of like closer than you think which not to say that to be like scared of it but just to be like the people who who are suffering from addiction or who are addicted to drugs are not that different they're not that far they're just a couple of steps away from where you could be and so I think for me it talks to kind of the compassion for people who are struggling with addiction to drugs and that it is that they are very similar to us and could have had the same upbringing and there are these obviously traits like we talked about last week the aces that 
make it easier or more likely that you'll struggle with, with addiction or with something. But at the same time, I think how we experience things in our life, um, traumatic experiences or not, when you could have three kids who go through the same thing and one ends up struggling from addiction and the other two end up fine. And you know, who's to say, because it's just a couple of wrong steps. It's just a couple of like feelings or decisions that you make when you're, when you're young and then here you are. So I think for me, the little boat of good deeds is like a vulnerable kind of thing surrounding each Mm -hmm. person. Absolutely. It also relates to another section in the end, um, towards the end where she talks about how basically it's like human nature to always want to push towards like precariousness towards like chaos towards death like we do want to see how far we can go and I think that's also similar to this like moat example is like we've all pushed it we've all done something we know is wrong we have this like desire as humans to like see where the edge is and some of us go a little too far and that's the instinct is still there for all of us of like what if I just threw it all away what if I just started over what if I just did something nobody would expect of me you know what if I was just the person who everybody was cheering for in the middle of the room because I was doing who knows what um so I I think they're both related and they're very very revealing about how what human nature is like yeah I totally agree all the way back to the very beginning we talked um we have talked in the past, like, how does Gifty or how does Yan know all of this? Because it seems like she had to be in this role. And something you alluded to is Yah's best friend was is a researcher in this field. And inter- she interviewed her and had her, like, go over some early manuscripts um, in this book. So that is where she, like, got this insight, which I just think is so sweet because it reminds me of like this podcast. It reminds me of also of like why we read and why it's fun to talk about books because you learn so much about someone that you think that you know by just like talking about something different. By like talking about a book, you're like, wow, okay, you like that's where you you come from with this. That's what you see in that relationship. It's just so interesting. I think it probably made their friendship. It's clear that she loves her friend so much because she gave her this character um and brought her to life and also spent the time like getting to know her friend in this way like tell me about your research what would it be like what would the lab look like what would the mice look like how would they react and that was just like very sweet to learn that at the end I did so, also like, love that's where it all that. came from very sweet if I ever write a book about your research someday I'm sure you'll edit it a little bit more fine tooth going through <laughs> where I have your character go to school and about when they get in their postdoc so look out for that book in the next 10 years right. <laughs> I swear to God, if a PhD student, if a fifth year PhD student who has two nature papers and a cell paper also needs a postdoc, like, please kill me. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so. (laughs) Okay. After the break, we'll be joined by our guests to talk more about the themes of this book. And we can't wait. Okay, so my name is Adanya. I am a Nigerian-American nursing student um, from Massachusetts. I really like books. I do book talk, bookstagram, talk incessantly about books to all of my friends and family. (laughs) Yeah, they're all tired of us. All we do is talk about books to them. Recommend books. You've got a problem. Here's a book for it. (laughs) 
Okay, so the first question is kind of a more general one. What do you think is the transcendent kingdom? Um, I had a lot of trouble figuring this question out, but honestly, I feel like the transcendent kingdom is kind of like a level of perfection that people can probably never really aspire to. Um, there is a quote that I think one of Gifty's professors say about human beings being the only species that think they've transcended their kingdom. So that's kind of what I think about it. That's super smart. I also thought it was maybe a religious component because there's so much like religion in this book, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, And she's praying on the cover, on like one of the versions of the cover. So I thought maybe that's the transcendent kingdom. Um, But yeah, that quote from the professor seemed like it was kind of revealing. (laughs) Yeah, not exactly. I could see it being the religion or also kind of trying to find whatever answers she won't have access to. Like she can't, it's kind of like the beyond reasoning. She wants to find the answers to it all either in science or in religion and she still can't find the answers to life or the meaning of it all. And I feel like that's kind of also maybe a part of it. Speaking of that, a key part of this book is about religion, which is one of those topics that you're definitely not supposed to talk about with strangers, but we're going to talk about it. Um, What role does religion play in this storytelling and in Gifty's life? And how do each of these characters relate to religion differently? So I really think that religion played a huge role in Gifty's life and in the book as a whole, no matter how much she kind of wanted to distance herself from that part of her past. Um, And I think that it was very interesting for the author to use that, um, being that a lot of people from African communities um, deal a lot with the religion and a lot of first-gen people try to figure out their place um, in relation to religion. Um, I think that it really added to the storytelling, like it gave it a lot more depth and it made you feel a lot more for each of the main characters, Um, especially if you look at the way that Gifty and her mom perceived religion and dealt with it, Um, especially if you look at who their characters are as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it made, it did give it the depth to it and it also... I think you get to see them all kind of growing through their relationship with religion at different points in their life or after different experiences, which I think is interesting and realistic, too. To me, Gifty's mom, her relationship with religion and also her like strength, she is just like such an endearing and lovable character who's clearly dealing with so much and her like fervent religion with like usually people who are extremely religious are like just I get kind of like about just from my own past but I think like her mom's clinging to religion makes so much sense and you want it to work for her like you want her church to be there for her you root for her like the way that pastor John is there for her when he is and it's so interesting the way that Yah is able to build that into these characters and make it so real and also so empathetic wherever you fall on like the religious spectrum a key part of the plot is Nana's addiction to opioids opioid addiction is something that we usually see covered in the media um specifically in white communities why do you think that Yah decided to have Nana struggle with opioids in particular one of the things that I really liked about this story is the way Yah dealt with representation um I think that 
um, one of the things that was most interesting about this book is um, she gave these characters a very realistic lens, even though it's not something that you always see. It's something that it, it happens. It's something that's real and it's something that could be talked about. I think it was just really interesting to see um, Nana in particular struggle with this. Um, considering how hard all of them were working to really be successful um, and how hard like their mother was working, how fervently they were going to church. Kind of like anybody can slip through cracks. It really doesn't matter where you come from. I think I like to when books have really nuanced characters because I think in real life we're all messy and nothing is kind of black and white. You don't have one specific thing you struggle with and there are there just like are nuances that people are messy and I like when you can see kind of the human side of that through through complex characters who are struggling with things you may not have expected or aren't represented in the media as much so I like that as well I hadn't really thought about that until you said that about how we don't know a lot from Nana's perspective about how he was viewing and experiencing these things and that's part of the tragedy of his passing is that Gifty also doesn't know how he was feeling or what he went through or what he was struggling with. We only have her observations of him and that's like, it just adds to the tragedy. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the things with um, Gifty's character that I think makes her so interesting because her drive to be like perfect and have a hundred percent of all the answers and just really understand everything is really due to how much she does not understand with her own life. Like, she can't fix the fact of what happened to her brother happened. She can't fix the fact that her father left them and is too ashamed to come and speak to them. She can't fix the fact that her mother obviously struggles with serious depression. She can't do any of that. Like, she can only speculate and imagine and hypo hypothesize. Um, yeah, she can only... She can only imagine what might be happening and I feel like even when you see her interactions with other characters it kind of explains how why she would be so closed off like I just think it makes her such an interesting character yeah I think her the uncertainty in her own life is really what's driving her seeking out certainty in we talked about that a lot like the way she's seeking out if I could just find out how addiction happens like it, she's trying to find that closure like close the loop and it's not something she can possibly do in in relation to her brother, but it doesn't stop her trying to seek it out. And she's trying to seek out those answers, I think, in so many parts of her life because so much of it is not able to be explained. Um, another thing I feel like I think about a lot is like emotions and emotional decisions cannot be logically explained. They just have to be like felt or deal, dealt with. Um, and I think for people that are really like really intellectual, really think about things in a scientific way, that's really hard to comprehend because you're like, there has to be an answer. I have to be able to figure this out and I have to know exactly what I'm going to have to do to get through it. And instead you have to just get through it. And I feel like that's hard for people. Towards the end of the book, uh, Gifty finally starts to let in Catherine and Han. Why do you think she's finally able to do this when we clearly see she wasn't able to in her earlier relationships with Raymond and Anne? Um, I feel, so I feel like Gifty grew a lot over the course of the story, and I feel like there is a sense of knowing that there has been trauma and tragedy in your life and kind of ignoring it, 
and it being just brought to the surface so you have to deal with it and when her mom came to stay with her she absolutely had to deal with it so i feel like all of those feelings that she felt with her brother and her adolescence and her in college all of those things were brought up to the forefront of her life and she just had to get through it and um the more she processed and felt all of her feelings the more she kind of got through it and allowed herself to like let other people in Gifty finally gets the chance to talk to the Chin Chin Man when she is in Ghana, but they aren't able to really talk about the big issues of Nana and Gifty's mom. Her aunt says that he can't talk about it because of a twee word, which I'm probably going to mispronounce, Ofere, which her mom translates for her to, he is shy and he's ashamed. What do you make of this final scene with Gifty and her father? I thought that it was incredibly realistic. And while I wanted them to sit down and have a heart-to-heart, it was so incredibly realistic for him not to be able to own up to what has happened and what role he particularly played in what has happened. Um, I think for a lot of African communities, um, there is a huge sense of pride and a feeling where you don't actually want to talk about some of the more emotional, important things. So yeah, while I would have loved to see them like really get into it, I'm kind of glad that they didn't because it made the story seem more realistic and more understandable and relatable for me. And the fact that Gifty is still able to like heal and process without that, it's sort of like it would have been nice to have that acknowledgement from her father and recognition of like her pain. But at the same time, she can still recognize his limitations and her mom can recognize his limitations and still have love for him and also still find their own like healing. We have read a few books um, on the podcast where the main character is first generation. One of the recent ones was crying in H Mart where Michelle Zahner talks about how being Korean American makes her feel not completely Korean or American Um, And this made her feel more lonely, especially when dealing with grief of her own and trying to find a community. Is this something that you think Gifty struggled with? And is this something that you have struggled with or that resonates with you? I think that Gifty did struggle with um, being first generation in the United States. However, I don't think she would have probably struggled with it the way that Nana would have struggled or her parents would have struggled um, coming here. I think that a lot of her isolation and her a lot of her feelings of being othered was the fact that she was a black girl in the middle of Alabama. Um, I think that watching them try to assimilate to American culture, all four of them, was very interesting to read about. Um, especially when you think of the ways that they took to it. Um, there's a conversation that I remember Nana and Gifty having with the youth pastor, I believe, that always sticks out to me, where Nana raises his hand and says, um, so do you think that people who don't know God in the middle of, like, a village are going to hell? And the guy immediately says, yeah. And I feel like, me personally, (laughs) I relate to Gifty a lot, um, because I'm first gen, we're not from the same country, but... I'm first gen, Um, my parents are very religious, like, I really like science and struggling between the two of those things, how to fit them into my own life, like, 
um, I had to work through that. So personally, I sometimes feel othered, but I also grew up in a community where there were a lot of people who were like me. So I have a lot of friends who are Igbo-American um, or Nigerian-American, um, and they're all first-gen. Like, my parents and their parents came here at the same time, so I don't feel it as strongly. I feel like sometimes any othering I feel is just due to, like, differences in the way um, I was socialized. I think that's very sweet, and I think that even that story that you said about yourself really speaks to, like, the value and the importance of a community and how that can really make or break, um, you know, somebody's experience and they're surrounded by people who are supportive of them or who are like them and they're not being other just in the day-to-day life. I feel like that can really be impactful. So that's sweet. I think it's a pretty understated part of the book because Gifty goes from her like high school in Alabama where they're going to a church that we find out about halfway through the book is entirely white other than their family. And then she goes to like Harvard and Stanford, these like predominantly white um, universities. And, you know, we see her struggling a little bit with like feeling like she has to try and fit in like the scene where she the pastor's wife asks her what her favorite meal is. And she says like spaghetti and meatballs. (laughs) But it is a pretty understated part of the book of how Gifty is kind of experiencing this intersectional identity um, in these really intense um, situations for her where she potentially feels like other people don't relate to her. Yeah, it's one of the more subtle things um, about her character, but when you think about it, like she really doesn't have a community. And I think that's one of the things that when you look at their family and the things that they went through as a whole, um, you can kind of, there are moments where you like viscerally see that. Like there was a point where I think Gifty was listening to some women at the church talk about like what Nana was going through. And when you read the book before, you know how invested their mother is in going to church and making sure she prays and making sure the kids go. And for them to just be like, oh yeah, well he's black, so he's on drugs just kind of like a throwaway as if they've not spent their entire lives connected to this community. Or like when she goes to college and is talking about how she believes in God and these are supposed to be her peers. She worked really hard to get to Harvard and these people are supposed to be like-minded and they kind of just are like, okay, well, this girl is crazy. (laughs) Right. They're so dismissive. They're just immediately like, that's not true. Like you didn't even, what? (laughs) Like you have no idea. You don't know best. So I, that part was really frustrating to me. And then the church community, too. Like, it just feels like a community of convenience. Like, they were all about supporting the family when Nana was winning basketball championships and, you know, when it was easy. And then when it got hard and when it wasn't as clear cut of how you could be a part of their community when people don't know what to do, they instead just did nothing. So Gifty mentions this darkness that she feels like she has and a darkness that comes out when she hurts other people. In your mind, what is this darkness? And is this something that you think that we all have? I feel like the darkness that Gifty mentions is just her reacting to her own trauma. I really, and I feel like that's something a lot of people can relate to. I really don't think that she's dark per se. She has just gone through so many horrible different things. And she's kind of dealt with it by herself. And, um... When she reacts, she just reacts like a person who's been cornered. 
it is a trauma response, right? Like I think, and I think everybody has different versions of what trauma is to them or what has affected them. You know, there's store, people have been through the same thing and reacted very differently and had very different experiences, things that could be traumatic or could not be. Um, but I think like life in general can be, you know, traumatic for some people. So I think it, it is just a different trauma, trauma response and people have, um, different ways that that comes out depending on who they are and what they've kind of experienced. Um, okay. This story has a very nonlinear timeline, even from sentence to sentence where jumping scenes and characters and places, um, as an aspiring author yourself, why would you, why do you think that Yah would choose to have a timeline like this? And what do you think it adds to this story in particular? I have to be honest, I really love asynchronous timelines. Like, I love them. I can't get enough. <laughs> um, and I think that one of the things that this helped with is because we only actually ever learn what Gifty thinks about the situation. We never learn what anybody else feels. Going back and forth instead of her just kind of recalling it in the present moment kind of adds to our ability to see the whole scene for what it is um, because we're only hearing about Gifty. Gifty is sort of an unreliable narrator. Um, so when we jump back and we see how 12-year-old Gifty felt instead of uh, Gifty in her late 20s telling us what she remembered as she felt, I feel like it just gave the story a, we could get a better view of the story. I think asynchronous timelines for me really keep me interested in it because I feel like there's multiple, even if it's one perspective, there's multiple perspectives in that person's life. So you kind of get to go between present day and how they're thinking or processing something back to how they may have previously and what might have impacted that. So I feel like for me, it keeps it really interesting and also is like a really creative way to build a character and build what you know of how they how they think and who they are rather than just telling you in one timeline or telling you what happened in the past jumping kind of back to being in her brain when she's 12 just gives it a whole nother level of understanding to her so what else are we always ask at the end of our episodes what else you're reading or any books you've read recently that you would recommend so what else is on your shelf um, I'm in a bit of a reading slump right now, but I am starting the Taking of Jake Livingston by Ryan Douglas. Um, I'm not very far into it. I'm only like 10 or so pages in, but I like it so far. What is like the your favorite book that you've read this year? Speak No Evil by Uzadima Iwelea, um, Legendborn by Tracy Dion, um, Monday's Not Coming, and... Uh, allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson and um, I'm looking for the title of one of my two of my favorite books okay so Stay With Me by Ayobami Adebayo which I might have mispronounced and The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Joe Janata Petras which I also might have mispronounced <laughs> I just saw that book somewhere the other day I don't remember where but okay well that's it for us. Um, where can people find you? I have both my Instagram and my TikTok are at chi.reads, so C-H-I dot reads.
Okay, let's talk, talk. Talk, talk. Um, I am out of my reading slump. Great news for all involved. I read Salt Houses, which I loved. I feel like you're going to love. It's this family story about a Palestinian family who is displaced during the Six-Day War. And then it follows multiple generations of this family. And so you kind of have to... I know you'll love it because there's a family tree at the top, the very first page. It tells you who everybody is, love it. Love related it. to. We love it. And so you get to hear it from the grandma's perspective and from the mom as a kid and then as a mom. It's it's so good. So, And I loved reading um, just about these different – it's really written, written from mostly the women's perspectives, and I loved it. Um, it's obviously incredibly sad, and the this family is so resilient. It's so good. And then I tried to listen to my first audiobook. How'd it go? Um, I don't know. It was fine. I was also driving, so I feel like I had to alternate. And I was listening to All the Young Men by Ruth Coker, Ruth Burns Coker, Ruth Coker Burns. I'll look it up. Um, which It'll is be in about the, show the AIDS crisis. <laughs> which is about, um, it's a memoir, actually, of Ruth, who was a nurse in the AIDS crisis in Arkansas. Actually, I'm not even sure she was a nurse. She's basically like a patient care person who ended up caring for these men because the hospitals were like, get them out of here. Um, and she brings her daughter along. It's very sweet. I think I probably have like hours left to listen to. Um, so I might just have to read it. But it's it's very good. And now I'm starting Song of Achilles. So Wow. I actually I saw Salt Houses at the library um, the other day, but I was going to wait and see what you thought about it. To see if I'll I bring should it pick it up. Okay, even better. Um, I'm still reading Blood Meridian. It is very difficult to read um, for like many reasons, but I'm going to do it. It's Joe's favorite. I have to keep going, so I'm going to make it through. I also couldn't sleep the other night, so I started reading Piranesi, which I'm probably also saying that wrong, but that was a recommendation that I gave to someone else without ever having read it because I feel like it's just everywhere. Everybody has been talking about this book. So I told my friend Rebecca to read it and she was obsessed and said she can't wait to read it again and again. If you tell me something like that about a book, I'm going to read it. Oh my God, I forgot. Yes, same. Also, I forgot I read another book. (laughs) Look at you. You're really out of your slump. I know. Well, I, this happens. I like don't read anything. And then I'm like, I got to read some things I really want to read. And I really like Salt Houses. I Googled like, what are the best books by Palestinian authors? I was just feeling like I haven't read anything by somebody from that region of the world. So that's how I ended up there. The book is in 2017 and people are like starting to talk about it again. But I read It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. Because you remember, I was like, everyone's reading Colleen Hoover. I'm at the pool. Everybody's reading it. It's all over social media. I get it. I get the hype. I was like... I mean, I'm bringing it to you also. I can't it was so wait. Good. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I also was like so frustrated. You'll get it. But like three quarters few, I was like, oh my God, these characters are not going to make the right decisions. And I feel like it was like, I'm not going to tell you if it ends with that or not, but I feel like you're in it. I was like, I have to find out what these people do. And so I feel like she said a really good job of like looping you in. There's like love scenes there's I mean there's good fights there's like tons of drama I don't think anybody dies but it's good I'll bring it to you amazing I can't wait yay did I finish anything I finished Transcending Kingdom and I loved it (laughs) I I have it it. like prominently displayed on my bookshelf so I can keep looking at it because I just I love the font I love the colors on the book I love little gifties. I know your book is so pretty. So pretty. I was like, I should have bought that one, but I was buying a lot of books that day, so I got the paperback. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, next week, join us for our one-off special episode with Georgia Clark. And then get your copy of The Guide by Peter Heller. We're going to start reading the Sunday after our one-off episode. Probably the first 75-ish pages. Check our Instagram page at booktalk underscore podcast. Ba-da. book talk is made by me erica bailey and katie cheney with production support from dan white our theme music is by dan white we'll see you next week I the whole time was like, so do we think she's going to be with Han? I just love Han. She needs someone to love her. Is it going to be Han? I was listening back to like episode one and I was like, do who do we think her love interest is? Because, you know, I got to know. And it was Han. Oh.